Paul writing to the Corinthians about the resurrection, how important and how necessary, and how there were actually some at the time that preached that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, and it wasn't really necessary, um, but he was a good man, and he was a good prophet, or he was a good whatever, um, a good message by him, but the resurrection, eh, not that important, and it's actually vital. That is the Christian faith, is resurrection. That's our only hope, is that we do rise from the dead. And Paul will explain that here in this chapter. And so this morning I wanted to go over that. Luke 24, an excellent account of the resurrection with the road to Emmaus, the two guys that were kind of surprised by Jesus walking with them. And of course, all the Marys that go to be the first witnesses of Jesus rising from the dead. Um, But it's great to know about the act. It's important to know about the event. But why? is just as important. What difference does it make if he rose from the dead or not? I'll, I'll give you the, the, the synopsis or the, 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 the condensed version here. If he didn't rise from the dead, that means the cross was of no effect. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, meaning Jesus would be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. The fact that the sacrifice had to be a perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish, that's what they would look for in the lambs. They had to examine Jesus. So when Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he spent that week being examined to find fault. They could find no fault in this man. In fact, Pilate himself says, I find no fault in this man, which means what? He's certified. He's flawless. He's the perfect sacrifice. Now, that's our view. What's God's view? Well, the wages of sin is death, and death holds those who have sinned. If you've sinned, you're going to die forever. That's the problem. That was the situation that God needed to resolve with his son. And so instead of you dying on the cross, instead of you paying that penalty of death for all eternity, he sent the perfect sacrifice, his son, who had no sin. Therefore, death couldn't hold him if he was flawless. And he would be the propitiation for your sins. He would take your penalty upon himself. Now, the only proof we have that this was accepted by God is the resurrection. Death could not hold him. He did die, but he rose from the dead. No other man had ever done that before, meaning he was the perfect sacrifice. That's it for Easter. Chapter 15 here, though, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, tries to pull this church together. They were kind of a funny church, if you've ever read Corinthians. They had some issues. We think we have issues at times, you know, here or in any other church. These guys had some serious issues. One of them was they began to believe that it doesn't matter whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. And Paul corrects all that because without the resurrection, you have no hope. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received in, and and I'm sorry, you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I'm going to give you the gospel, Paul says, again, because you believed in it once, but I want you to be reminded not only that you believe in it once, but that you stay in it. He likens it to what we would use maybe as an example as an airplane. You get in the plane, you're going to go to Hawaii as long as you stay in the plane. If you jump out anywhere along that route, guess what? You're not making it to your destination, and that's the idea behind this. Yes, of course you believed, you bought your ticket, you got on the plane, but it's important you stay in your seat. It's important you stay put. It's not how you start the journey, it's how you finish it. And without a backpack or a parachute, you're in big trouble. And there weren't any. 
And so Paul says, I want to remind you of this gospel that you believed in, that you'd stay in it, that you're being saved in it. He says this in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, I'm not asking you to believe something that I didn't believe first. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by uh, Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by born, one born out of due time. Lots of people saw Jesus. In fact, at the time that Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, most of those 500 witnesses were still alive and could have refuted this letter if they wanted to. I never saw him. This is all a big hoax that someone made up a long time ago. It could have been refuted. It'd be like trying to write something now and expecting nobody else to challenge you on the lie. The fact is it wasn't challenged because it was absolutely true and there was no one to refute it. It was absolutely witnessed. And so Paul lines that out for them. Don't you understand that he died according to the Scriptures? He suffered according to the Scriptures. Which Scriptures? He's talking about Isaiah 53. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but that's where he's at. Especially in verse 6. Jesus had to die. The Messiah at the time, they didn't have the name Jesus in Isaiah the Messiah would have to suffer. That was one of the difficulties they had. The rabbis wouldn't touch those suffering Messiah scriptures with a 10-foot pole because they couldn't reconcile them. How does that work? How can you have a king and a suffering Messiah? Let's just skip the bad news and go right to the good news. And what they didn't understand and what Jesus taught the two on the road to Arimathea and, and so on was that he had to suffer first. What good's a king without a kingdom, without people? He understood he needed to take care of the people first. Otherwise, he'd sit on the throne and rule and reign what? Nothing. There's no one there. And so as a good king, he takes care of the people first. He came, died on the cross for their sins so that he would have a kingdom. And that's what he wants us to spread, that good news, to bring more people into that kingdom that he rules and reigns over, that he died for. That's the idea. And he says the scriptures all told about this in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, even in Genesis 22. Those are some of the those are the three greatest passages I think that help an unbeliever discover the truth of the Bible written thousands of years apart. Genesis 22, we see the Father and the Son going up on top of Mount Moriah. The Son being the sacrifice, the Father being the instrument of wrath. Later on, you see Psalm 22, a prophecy given about this soon suffering Messiah. And how he would die at the hands of his father through crucifixion. Even before crucifixion was invented 300 years after Psalm 22. And then you've got Luke 22, which describes the horrific event that Jesus had to go through fulfilling all three on the same hill as Genesis 22, Mount Moriah or Mount Calvary, it's called now. It's an amazing, amazing set of uh, scriptures that God has given us. They witness itself. It, it proves itself. It shows itself. It's amazing. And so Paul writes that to them. This is how it is. Isaiah 53 said this would happen. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, 
so we preach and you and so you believed. Paul says, when I heard this, when I saw this, when I witnessed this, I worked harder than everybody else. Well, not I, he says, but the gospel in me, the, the good news, the grace in me. But he couldn't do anything but, and that's the case. When you become a Christian, when you actually become a believer in Jesus Christ, and that's a question everybody has to ask, am I a believer? Am I a worshiper? Or do I attend? That's the difference. When you become a believer, a follower, a worshiper of God, nothing you can do but preach the gospel, but tell people about Jesus, but live a life that testifies of him. And that's what Paul says. I I did this. The reason I do what I do is because of him, because of his grace. Verse 12, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Here's the challenge. Why do you teach that? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If that, if that can't happen, then that means Christ didn't rise from the dead. He's just following it to its logical conclusion. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Who wants to hear about another guru? We've got plenty of them. He's no different than any other holy man that's ever walked the earth. The difference is this holy man, God come in the flesh, rose from the dead without the resurrection of the dead, without the perfect accepted sacrifice that God stamps his approval on with this resurrection, then he's no different and our preaching's in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. In other words, you make us liars, Paul says. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. It's a pitiful church without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a pitiful existence if all we do is accept Christ until we die and then we become dirt and there's nothing more. There's nothing after. Then why not eat, drink for tomorrow we die? Why not live it up for ourselves? If this is all we have, if this is all we get, what good is self-denial? What good is walking under the obedience of somebody else? Why care is the idea. And so Paul challenges that thought. Verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first one to ever rise from the dead, and he's the first one to go to heaven. And he led captivity captive and took all those who died before him with the hope of a Messiah to heaven with him at that time. For since by man death came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about Romans 5, verse 19, when he describes that although sin came through the first Adam, ever wonder how unfair that is? My my eight-year-old challenges me that. So Adam ate of the fruit, and I've got to suffer for that? And every adult has asked the exact same question. I just didn't want to say it out loud, but that doesn't seem quite fair. I didn't get a chance to deny an apple. And it's not an apple. We don't know what kind of fruit it is, but let's not get technical. Some sort of fruit they ate, and we got in trouble for it. That's like your sister picking out the cookie out of the cookie jar and you getting busted for it. That doesn't seem fair. I tried to explain to her that every day we have an opportunity to not eat of that fruit and we choose to. That's what our sin is. It doesn't have to be fruit. It's any way and in any way we're disobedient to God. The fruit, the tree, that was just one example of how we could be disobedient to God. 
but every day we have that option. Nevertheless, still, Adam passed on this sin nature to us. So how does God fix it? With one man. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So by one man sin entered, by one man sin leaves, is what he's getting at. And so how do I attain this? How do I keep this? How come people still go to hell? How come there's not just a universal salvation? Because you have to choose to accept that, to believe that. That's all there is to Christianity. It's believing what Christ did for you at the cross or not believing what he did at the cross. That's the option. That's the choice. Not whether it's effect in your life is real or not. It's do you believe it? What must I do to be saved? And the answer was believe on him whom he sent. That's as simple as it. That's all there is to it. That's what we tell people. That's the gospel. That's what we're supposed to share. It's not about stopping smoking. It's not about getting healthier. It's not about stopping that four-letter word from coming out of your mouth. It has nothing to do with those things. It has everything to do with believing what God said about his son, that he was the way of salvation for you and for I. Now, granted, that purification, all those things I mentioned before, do take place. God does start to clean up our lives. Just like he says, I now live and preach because of the grace given to me. And that's what will happen to anybody that comes to know Jesus. When that grace is given to them, they can't help but just start cleaning up their act. Not for salvation, but from it, because of it. And so that's where he's at. That's what he's explaining. Adam, in Adam all died. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, or to God, the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. In other words, Paul is saying the process, we're in, we're in process right now. It's happening. It happened, it's happening, and it will happen. It's going on. We're in the middle of it right now. He rose from the dead. Those who died in Christ or died for the sake of the South, for a Messiah, they rose in Christ. Pretty soon, you'll rise in Christ if you believe on Jesus. And we're working towards that goal when Christ rules and reigns, is subject to his Father, but also we're in subject to him. A beautiful picture. We're new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. That old man's dead. That old Adam is dead. But now I've been born again. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. It's exciting. Now he gets a little strange here, but he's trying to make a point. At the time, there were pagan cults that still baptized for the dead. In other words, Bob died. My uncle Bob died, and he, he didn't know anything about a Messiah. He never was baptized. So can I get baptized in place of him? Sure. And they would baptize this kid. Remember, baptism isn't just for Christianity. It wasn't just for Jews. It was for any religion. You go underwater, you come back up again, and that means you're part of that religion. That was the idea behind it. So he goes into this pagan cult thing. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Everybody knows that there's a life after death. Even the pagans and the cults do these things. Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? 
If I, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Every day I go out, I risk my life to preach this gospel. If it doesn't make any difference in the afterlife, what's the point? Why would I risk my neck for that? That's probably one of the strongest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is how many of these, no offense guys when I see you, but cowards that ran away from the cross because they didn't want to be crucified with Christ. Every one of them left him and forsook him. Later on, after he rose from the dead, could go right up to any Roman right in the face and tell him Jesus is risen from the dead. That's about the most horrible thing you could say to someone because that means that this king is alive and that's, it's treasonous. And these cowards all of a sudden, three days later, have guts? It's because it's absolutely true and they witnessed it. And so he says, why do they do these things? Why do I, why do I not count my life dear to myself and risk it every single day? If in the manner of men I have fought with, the beasts of, with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil companion corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In other words, separate yourself from those that are teaching this junk in the church. Turn them off. Well, he's got some good things to say. Not if he says that first. It's garbage. Jesus rose from the dead. Anybody that teaches otherwise is a heretic. In 35 here, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come, foolish one? What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body uh, that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Outside, as you walked in, you probably noticed the tulips that we have back there. They're kind of neat because they're not in dirt. I'm glad. They're hydroponic. I think that's the way you put it. And the reason I bought those is so that you can see what was that stupid, ugly bulb, and what it turns into once it is planted. Look at that thing grow. Look at the beauty. That's the idea. I put packs of seeds around those two. I want you to take a pack when you go home today. And look at that seed. Bust it open. They're little tiny seeds. They're flower seeds. Then go scatter them someplace when you're done. But look at that seed. Do you understand our body is like that seed compared to when we're planted six feet under what we become. Can someone please plant me today? That's the idea. I mean, we spend our whole lives trying to remain seeds. Oh, I don't want to, you know, got to be seed, got to be a strong seed, a healthy seed, a round seed, or whatever seed. This is just a seed. I'm a pretty good looking guy too. 
But you plant this ugly seed in the ground, and who knows what I'm going to become? What am I going to look like? What kind of body is God going to give me, this celestial body? That's the comparison. The flower, the tulip, compared to that ugly, nasty bulb. How much time do we spend on these ugly, nasty bulbs? I don't know. I'm kind of falling apart. Good. You're about ready to be planted. Not to put too fine a point on it. And imagine if you're in Christ, what you're going to become. I can't wait. I'm going to have to wait, but I can't wait. It's a joy. That's why we say he's risen. Christ was great while he was here. Amazing to look at. Amazing to be around. The guys really loved him, but boy, When those guys saw him glorified for the moment on top of that mountain before he died, and then when they saw him ascend into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, when Stephen saw him as he was being killed and stoned to death, standing at the right hand of the Father, you know what they saw? The tulip compared to the bulb. Like, I mean, whoa. He's got the same plans for you. He's got the same plans for me, and I can't wait to be honest with you. Of course we miss those who have gone on before us. Of course we do. I don't mean to diminish that or belittle that. Of course you're mourning and you're sorrowful for that which has gone ahead of you. But I tell you what, don't wish them back. Don't wish them back because they wouldn't want to be that bulb again, honestly. Grab some of those seeds. Take a look at those tulips out there. Let that sink in so every time you plant a seed... What a great time as they're out harvesting and they're planting corn and putting in wheat and they're putting in beans and all that in hope. In hope they plant those seeds because I hope they don't come back as seeds. No farmer wants to see that seed again in the fall. That's a failed plant. That's a failed crop. They want to see it bloom. They want to see it grow. They want it to bear fruit. 100, 60, 40. I went the wrong way, but that's how the scriptures are, I guess. 40, 60, 100 fold. That's our hope. And he says as much. Look, just like I said, just like the seed, so is our earthly body, our terrestrial body, compared to the celestial body it'll become. So it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. Unfortunately, this is the order of things. We've got to be seeds first. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as in the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Are you heavenly? Are you heavenly this morning? Have you believed on Jesus for your salvation? Is that what's going to happen to you? Or are you going to be a failed crop is the question. And believing on Jesus is the answer to that. Have I believed on Jesus for my salvation? Am I a worshiper of God? Do I love singing songs to him? If I I have those doubts, if you have those doubts, pray at the end of this service to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to believe on him for salvation, to believe that what God did through his son Jesus at the cross is sufficient for you. We believe him at his word. However, the spiritual is not first. I said that. The first man. uh, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's good news. Now, this I say, brethren, 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Everybody goes from seed to plant. Some of us have to be planted first here, and then we grow into that. Others, he says here, this is a different kind of thing. He's talking about the rapture of the church here. There are going to be those who are going to be alive when he comes back a second time. Christ did come. Christ did rise. But he is coming again. We sang that song. So likewise us, if we're still alive when he comes, if he was to come back today, this is what would take place to us. As opposed to dumping us in the ground first, this is what would happen. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. That's his promise. That's his encouragement to us at the end here. At this Easter time, please be encouraged in that. Remembering what hope you have when you die. And no matter what happens this year or has happened this year that got us off track or got your eyes off of eternity and somehow got focused on all this temporary stuff down here, hopefully this Easter our eyes are raised a little bit higher and we're looking for eternity and we're hoping in that resurrection. And then We live for that now. We live in that. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the promise and the hope of our resurrection because we've believed on your resurrection. Lord, for those that don't know you this morning or thought they did but realized maybe they've been going off of someone else's faith, or maybe just attending. God, they want to pray. Jesus, this Easter, I want to believe on you for my salvation. I know that you died on the cross. I know that you said it was sufficient for my sins. And that although I had the penalty of death waiting for me, you took that penalty of death for me. And So I thank you for that, and I believe on you. I know that my sin is washed away. It's just separated from me as far as the east is from the west, and that your word says you've forgotten my sin, and I thank you for that in Christ. So I believe on Jesus. I believe on his finished work at the cross and I believe in his resurrection. Lord, for the rest of us, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for this time every year. You made it a statute. You made it something we were supposed to do so that we would remember because you knew we wouldn't, that we get off track, that we go down a, a trail we shouldn't be down. Lord, thanks for helping us back to where we should be this Easter. Help us to live for you the rest of this year and on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.